Welcome everyone to another session of um, Progressive Christian Voices today and tomorrow. My name is Brian Elaine. I'm the founder of Compassion Christianity, writing for your life. It is a pleasure to host a series of prominent Christian writers, all of whom have been published by Broadleaf Books or one of the other 1517 media imprints like uh, Fortress Press and Beaming Books. And um, this webinar will be um, followed by two more on October 11th and 13th that are also part of this series. So joining us tonight are Jennifer Grant, Brian McLaren, and Sophronia Scott. Jennifer is the author of six books for adults and several for children. In 2021, she released Once Upon a Time, Not So Long Ago, a picture book about how the pandemic continues to shape us. Her latest release for adults, Dimming the Day, will officially launch in a few weeks and is a book of evening reflections on nature. <clears throat> Jennifer spends her time doing both her own creative work as well as editing and editorial consulting. Passionate about helping all children flourish and being a believer in the power of story, she recently joined the board of Gender Nation, an organization she loves. Gender Nation helps communities empower and validate all children by providing public school libraries with LGBTQ plus affirming literature. Awesome. Uh, you can go to gendernation.org to learn more. The mother of four adults, four young adults, Jennifer and her husband David, are now empty nesters that live in Chicago. <laughs> She's spoken to several of the Writing Life conferences and curates the Faith and Food page for Compassionate Christianity. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. <clears throat> Brian McLaren is an author, speaker, activist, and public theologian. A former college English teacher and pastor, he's a passionate advocate for a new kind of Christianity, just, generous, and working with people of all faiths for the common good. He's a faculty member of The Living School and podcaster with Learning How to See, which are both part of the Center for Action and Contemplation. He's also an Auburn Senior Fellow and works closely with the Wild Goose Festival, the Fair Food Program, and Vote Common Good. His recent projects include an illustrated children's book for all ages called Corey and the Seventh Story, and also Galapagos Islands, A Spiritual Journey. His newest book is Faith After Doubt, Why Your Beliefs Stop Working and What to Do About It. Um, and I should mention, you know, there's an interview that I did with Brian about that book recently. So if you go to the Right for Life website, you'll find that as you'll find an interview that I recently did with Jennifer about one of once upon a time, not so long ago. So I forgot to mention that earlier. Sorry. Um, Brian's newest release is Do I Stay Christian? And it'll be available in the spring of 2022. He also contributed to our recent book, How to Heal Our Divides, and has spoken at several of our events and has been a generous collaborator on many different fronts. So Brian, thanks so much for joining us again tonight. So good to be here. Thanks. Sophronia Scott holds a BA in English from Harvard, an MFA in writing from the Vermont College of Fine Arts. She began her career as an award-winning magazine journalist for Time and for People. When her first novel, All I Need to Get By, was published, Sophronia was nominated for Best New Author at the African American Literary Awards and was hailed as potentially one of our best writers of her generation. Her latest book is The Seeker and the Monk, Everyday Conversation with, Ch with Thomas Merton. Sophronia's other books include Unforgivable Love, Love's Long Line, Doing Business by the Book, and This Child of Faith, Raising a Spiritual Child in a Secular World, which was co-written with her son, Tane. Sophronia is the recipient of a 2020 Artist Fellowship Grant from the Connecticut Office of the Arts, 
She's taught at Regis University's Mile High MFA and Bay Path University's MFA in Creative Nonfiction. Currently, Safroni is the founding director of Alma College's MFA in Creative Writing, a low residency graduate program. I also have to point out that Safroni has spoken in more of my writers' conferences than any other speaker. So I'm very appreciative of that and very glad to have her here with us tonight yet again. <clears throat> so this evening, I'm going to ask our panelists several different questions, but if any attendee would like to also ask something, um, please type your question into the Q&A box on the Zoom portal. Um, but perhaps um, I'd love for each of you to tell us just a little bit about what's new. What, what was the most recent thing that you're, you're working on? So uh, Jennifer, maybe you want to start? Uh, sure. Actually, um, so you mentioned Dimming the Day, which is the Broadleaf Books um, book is coming out shortly. Um, Amazon, of course, has already sent it out, but it's, it's supposed to be released in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and, um, and this book is a book of uh, reflections on nature, as you mentioned, um, kind of addressing uh, some of the general anxiety that we are all feeling. And instead of sort of ending the day scrolling on our phones, the idea with this book is to uh, reflect on something in nature and to kind of allow the kind of wonder and awe in creation to kind of settle our minds and help us to sleep. So um, anyway, I think they did a beautiful job. Thank you, Broadleaf Books. Um, and I just finished writing a book, and Brian, I don't remember if I've told you this, but um, I have a book coming out in February with church publishing, and it's a book on prayer for kids who are seven to 10 years old. And it's nice. called Sing, Wrestle, and Spin. And uh, the concept behind that one is that um, for all different kids of that age um, who might be, you know, less comfortable expressing themselves verbally and more comfortable moving or more comfortable drawing something or um, expressing themselves vocally or whatever, um, this book has, uh, I think it's 18 chapters and each one is another verb. And so there's spin, there's wrestle, there's question, there's, uh, you know, all these different ways that uh, I hope kids will connect with prayer. So um, that comes out in February. And as I mentioned, I've been doing a lot of editing and uh, I'm working on a few other books for Being Me books right now. And um, yeah, really delighted to be here and really, really proud of everything that's going on with Broadleaf Books. I feel like, you know, every time I look on that website, I'm amazed by the writers I get to share that, that space with because I think they are people of faith who are doing such important work and who are, um, you know, promoting and exposing really a kind of Christianity that I hope will continue to be um, kind of elevated. So, uh, I'm so I'm so proud to be able to be counted among these writers. Well, I love what Broadleaf has been doing and they've been hiring recently, which is really positive sign they're going to be doing even more wonderful things so i'm very glad about that so so brian i know a little bit about what you've been up to but uh why don't you share that with uh everyone else well yeah first i just want to say brian how grateful i am to you for your good work and bringing people together and how happy i am to meet um jennifer and sophronia uh, as i was hearing each of your introductions from brian i just felt like gosh we are uh, it's really good that we're getting to hang out. Um, so many crossovers and shared interests, uh, and, and especially this shared concern about children. And um, so much of the effort that's gone into progressive Christianity, compassionate Christianity, 
has been aimed at young adults and older adults. And meanwhile, the kids get kept getting sent to, uh, you know, Sunday school classes and getting exposed to curriculum and books that are reinforcing all the things that we're trying to help the adults get out of. So, so this just feels to me so important. Um, and uh, one of the things that I, I was able to be involved with a few years ago is I co-wrote uh, a children's book with a dear friend, Gareth Higgins, and an illustrator, uh, uh, award-winning illustrator um, uh, named uh, Heather, who uh, uh, called it Corey and the Seventh Story. And uh, it was uh, my first uh, 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 you know, venture into children's book writing, but uh, that whole process has just, you know, one of the things it's done for me is just feel like in the years I have left, I want to encourage people like you who are doing this good work and get more and more people thinking creatively uh, about what it is we, we want to pass on to our children. Um, you know, I, I before COVID, I, I do a lot of traveling. I've been doing a lot of traveling. And I, I would have to say in the last seven to 10 years, the most consistent question I get asked when I'm traveling, speaking about my books for adults is what are we going to do for our kids? Um, and so this sense that something new is on the horizon, something new is really needed is in my experience is pretty widespread. Um, but to get back to your question, Brian, I, uh, I'm uh, deeply involved with center for action and contemplation, doing some teaching there and um, uh and also a podcast with them and with my own writing projects. And then just my uh, interest in so many good things that are happening and my concerns about so many terrifying things that are happening. I feel like uh, every day there's not enough hours. <laughs> so Isn't that the uh, case? yeah. Well, for, you know, everyone else uh, stay tuned because Brian and I are talking about another project that will address some of the concerns that hopefully address some of the concerns that Brian was just expressing relative to um, progressive Christian education for children. So, uh, so stay tuned for that. So Sophronia, hello, good evening. Great to see hey, you again. Brian. Yes. Tell us what so, you've been up to besides uh, Alma MFA. I know that's been pretty consuming. Yeah, yeah, recruiting for our next class right now. But um, I, I actually, I just finished a novel, Brian. You're so kidding. I, no, I'm not. I just Good for you. A novel. Congratulations. And uh, so, yeah, I'm expecting the editorial notes from my editor any day now and, and for it to get on the production schedule. So, um, so yeah, so that was, that's a big thing off my plate at the moment. But, um, but the rest is, is like Brian, I, I do travel and that's picking up again. So um, I'm going to be teaching a, a Merton workshop uh, later this month at the Holy Family Retreat Center in Hartford. Hmm. And, um, and I'll be at the Merton Center in Louisville, Kentucky in February, delivering uh, their Black History Month lecture. Uh, and I'll be presenting at the Merton, um, the British Merton, uh, the Internet, the British Merton Society's uh, conference in April. So I'm going to England for that. So, but yeah, a lot of things going on. <laughs> You've always been very busy and very productive, so uh, not surprising to hear that there are multiple balls in the air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, one thing we were talking about before we else got on was that, um, you know, I've worked extensively with each, each of you, but this is the first time that you've all met each other, 
which is like shame <laughs> on me, you know, I mean, for not making that happen earlier. So I apologize, seriously, because you all are like some of my favorite people. And so we'll need to rectify that, you know, more going forward. <laughs> So anyway, one of the things that we want to talk about during this seminar is like, what are you reading from other folks that, you know, you'd like to share with the rest of the world? So Jen, how about you uh, starting us off there? Sure. I, um, and I didn't pick this because it's a Broadleaf Books book, but it is. I've been reading the last few days, this book, Feed the Wolf by John Sweeney. Um, and I've known John actually for 40 years. <laughs> Ever since high school, we've been friends. And um, and always both of us wanted to be writers, which is kind of fun now to be at this point in, in life and to be able to hold these wonderful books that he's written. Um, but I, I was glad to um, that you asked about this because it's right next to me, but also I think it's pertinent to this conversation about what does progressive Christianity mean or what could be the future of it. And um, fairly early on in the book, um, he talks about the model that St. Francis is to him and how um, it's not about, um, and I'm paraphrasing wildly here, so forgive me, but it's not about right thought or right theology or those things, but it's about kindness and vulnerability and, um, and facing your fear and calling out things that are wrong and, and just really living living in the path of, of, of Jesus, you know, living a life that is full of love and vulnerability and isn't, um, it's not the sort of toxic messages that we hope to um, unravel from, from kids or to prevent them from having, like, as we create children's literature, obviously, um, we want to give wonderful ideas about God's grace and God's love to kids that they won't ever have to recover from. But, um, this book is kind of, he's, he says it's kind of like a map, and if you follow it, you'll find a treasure, and then you can put away the map. And the treasure is just modeling um, our own behavior and uh, after some of the things that Francis did in terms of loving others and, um, and living a really authentic, vulnerable life. So I'm loving this book so far. I'm only about halfway through it, but uh, highly recommend it. It sounds like it's being very well received. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jennifer, because I, John is, uh, he's written a lot about Merton, so he, he is a, a noted Merton author, and right before I came on this webinar, I was reading the latest email from the International Thomas Merton Society, and they had a list of recent publications, and I saw this, I saw that, and I was oh, like, whoa, right. John has a new book, what is that? And, and now I know. <laughs> yeah, and it's a broadly book. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So, Brian, how about you? What have you been reading in your spare time? Haha. <laughs> so, you know, I, I bet uh, that uh, Jennifer and Sophronia do this too, but I get a whole lot of manuscripts from other writers asking me to read and, and, and it's a lot of work, but gosh, it's, it's rewarding too. Um, so believe it or not, this morning I read uh, Walter Brueggemann's newest book that's, that's uh, about to come out uh, that, uh, is an exposition, you know, how he takes biblical passages and, and relates them to things going on in our world. So this is a reflection on the book of Exodus and delving into some other areas. My gosh, I just brilliant and good. 
Um, I relating to what we were talking about before. I'm reading a book that's been around for quite a while called The Spiritual Child. It's a, a not a religious, specifically religious, uh, you know, not a Christian book, um, but uh, a book by a psychologist that's really, really interesting. So, uh, also finding out our shared interests in Merton and uh, and Francis. One of the kind of delights of my life the last two years is I've been doing a lot of work with. Uh, with different Franciscan groups, including uh, a lot of wonderful Franciscan nuns. And I mentioned to one of them my interest in Francis and economy, because Pope Francis now has convened a group called uh, The Economy of Francesco, inviting Catholic thinkers to start reimagining an economy that was that makes more sense, uh, especially in, in a Christian sense. At any rate, she sent me this really interesting book, uh, kind of an academic book called Franciscan Wealth from Voluntary Poverty to Market Society. And she's uh, this this book by uh, Giacomo Tedeschini, who that's translated into English from Italian, goes back to a lot of early Franciscan writings and shows how they were very self-conscious of the ways they were trying to provide an alternative vision to the dominant and, and growing uh, market economy that now you know has become this global capitalism that we all uh, live in. So anyway, those are a couple. I just read um, John Pavlovitz's great new book, "If God Is Love, Don't Be a Jerk." That you know, John has an incredible ability to write at a really popular level, but also to pack some real. Uh, substance there. So those are a few uh, good ones lately. Very cool. Okay. So, so I will tell you, Brian, that that book, uh, Lisa is the author of The Spiritual Child. So Lisa interviewed me extensively for that book. Is and that so? It's, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's a scientific book. So it's like there are, our interviews right. aren't represented there, but those interviews led me to write This Child of Faith. Wow. Is that because, so? because, yeah, because she made me realize that, that there was something to say there. And I think I, she's mentioned in the acknowledgments, but yeah. Well, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to read that now. So that, that'll be next on my list, Sophronia. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Sophronia, go ahead. Well, Brian, my reading tends to be uh, at the moment, uh, it gets, ca it's caught up in what I'm working on. So I just finished a novel. So I've been reading things like, you know, Diary of a Slave Girl and reading about uh, black Civil War nurses. But um, and right now, today, for example, I was reading the book of Rent and also Hairspray because I'm working on a musical now. <laughs> so, Very cool. Um, <laughs> so but um, but Broadleaf sent an email today and it was like this book I, and I ordered it right away because this is a book uh, that addresses an issue that I talk about in The Seeker and the Monk. This is Karen Walren's book, The Lightmaker's Manifesto. Oh, yeah. I'm thrilled about this book, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. Um, because I, I find that that is something that, that is always in my head is that how do I work for change without having to bring anger to it? Like how without becoming something that I'm not, and and uh, and that's one of the conversations I have with Thomas Merton, like how how to be an activist or how to address racism without losing uh, my sense of of 
joy and compassion. And, and that's exactly what she's addressing here. Um, how do we work for change, um, but will the emotional toil lead to burnout, right? And, and she's um, helping you to learn how to joyfully advocate for justice, peace, and liberation. We learn how to become makers of light. And I saw that and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Get me that book right now. Uh, it's due to come out in November, but just like you said, Jennifer, I was surprised to order it. And of, of course, Amazon's going to ship it <laughs> this week, right? That's kind of annoying, but <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited about this book. Um, Very cool. So for me, I was going to say two different books. This is one of them. Stephen Johnson, Where Good Ideas Come From, which is like almost a Bible for me. Uh, in one level, in terms of innovation and learning about how innovation happens. So um, there's another story around this that I won't get into, but this is one book that I, I read a couple of years ago and uh, I've been going back to it this week, and I just absolutely love it. The second book I was going to mention is one that Brian already mentioned by John Pavlovitz. Um, if, God is a if, if God is love, don't be a jerk, right? So... Um, <laughs> And uh, my wife has that one, so I can't show that to you. But, um, but John, for those of you who don't know, just underwent surgery to remove a tumor oh. off his pituitary gland, something like that. So he's still in recovery right now, but, but doing pretty well from what, um, what it sounds like. Um, so I'll mention two other books. I just did two book interviews today. One was with Philip Yancey for his first memoir, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. I've um, heard about that. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's very good. Um, and now I'm blanking on the title of it, but um, if you go to Phillips, uh, where, where the light falls, I think, or where the light fell, I think is the, is the title of it. So that's really interesting. And then Dante Stewart, um, shouting in the fire. So Dante is a seminary student at uh, Candler and uh, uh, African-American pastor. And so that, is, is really interesting too. I think he's going to be a really serious up and coming writer. So anyway, those are the ones uh, that I've been involved in, in recently. So, <clears throat> all right. So next, you know, thinking big, um, one of the things we want to talk about here in this series is, you know, what you all see is the most pressing issues that progressive Christians need to be dealing with. And uh, Brian, I think you kind of already gave us a little bit of a preview of your thoughts on that topic, but um, let's discuss this in more depth. And, and Jen, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Um, well, I mean, I think maybe, I'm, you know, because the way this conversation was is framing kind of around all of us being interested in, um, in kids, you know, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, of, adults sort of, and I, and this has been the case for my, my whole life, people who have had to kind of take off an ill-fitting, you know, piece of clothing, you know, that was the faith that they were taught when they were little. And, and for whatever reason has been something that has been really damaging and hurtful for them. And some people come to a place where they can separate that from the divine and their experiences of, of God and of spirit. And some people never can. And some people, you know, say, I'm, I'm throwing the whole thing out. And so um, so one of my kind of passions is, is kind of surrounding myself with like-minded writers who are doing such good work to, to create 
ways to, um, you know, we've talked about this, Brian, quite a bit, but sparking spiritual curiosity in children in a way that doesn't give them these messages. You know, I, I used to picture it when my own kids were little. I thought, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to give them backpacks and then throughout their childhood be putting these like ill-shapen, sharp rocks into that. And I don't want them then to become young adults and have to spend the next however many years or decades taking those things out. You know, I wanted them just to kind of have more freedom than that. And I, I want that for my young readers of, of my, my books for kids as well, that they can then just be free to experience God in whatever way they do, you know, and and not feel like um, there are all these toxic, confusing messages. And and so um, so yeah, so I am sort of focused on on that. And so with some of our colleagues that we've worked with at your children's lit conferences, like Matthew Paul Turner and Glenna Snellist and Tracy Smith and so many others, who I feel like we're gathering this momentum and we all have very similar values and, and a similar passion for, um, for really bearing witness to God's love and to, to grace and to the beauty of creation without all that stuff that um, is so, so terribly damaging. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I've sort of placed myself in that community and, and want to support other writers who are doing this work and support efforts like your effort to create, you know, we've been vetting with um, your daughter, Jennifer, these children's books that are, um, that we can communicate to progressive people of faith, that these are safe. These are not ones that will make a child, you know, question God's love. It might, or make a child question whether or not they're okay being who they are, you know? And so, all those efforts are really important to me, and I feel like that is when I when I look ahead. Probably because I'm, you know, I spend so much time reading children's literature, writing children's literature, studying it. Um, that that's really where my passions are. So it's fun that both you know all of us on this call are are committed to that, and I see that as a very hopeful thing. Um, I think there are books that um, I mean I I really scoured. When my kids were little, I really looked for good uh, Christian content, and I very rarely found anything that I wanted to share with my kids, and very rarely ever shared anything um, other than some wonderful, like, you know, Zen Buddhist <laughs> children's books, but not Christian ones. So I'm happy that there are now things that are so healthy, and maybe um, they can go through life and not know that there was this whole time where kids you know, felt weird and guilty and, and had this sort of toxic shame around who they are. And uh, anyway, so that's that's where my passion is. I'm rambling a bit, but. Well, let me take off on, you know, one of the elements that you talked about, Jen, was you know, kind of this transition that many of us have gone through from, you know, maybe what we were told or what we were taught or what we believed when we were younger to a different, you know, form of Christianity now. Um, you know, Brian wrote this incredible book that I referred to earlier called Faith After Doubt that describes many different aspects of that transition and four different phases that, um, you know, many people go through, um, th through those transitions. And by the way, on Monday night's webinar, I held that up, Brian, as one of the books that I recommended for everybody. So just so that you know. Um, but, you know, you've done a lot, Brian, you've done a lot of work and thought in this area. Do you have 
a hypothesis as to why some people make the transition or make that transition further and other people don't? Well, uh, I, I think one of the things that, you know, because you've read that book, that was a, a major kind of breakthrough realization for me. It, it's obvious in one way, but I think I felt it at a deeper level, is when we talk about faith, it has a lot to do with belonging. Um, it has a lot to do with the groups that we want to belong to. And if your faith journey takes you to a place where if you continue to follow it, it puts you out of sync with the groups that you belong to, where you feel safe, where you felt nurtured, and you feel if I were to be public about going to a different place, I would be ejected from those groups. I think that's a really, really big deal. I think it has, you know, psychological uh, effects, especially for people who whose faith is important to them. Um, so, so it's a group I think thing. that's a the peer pressure, I, that, I, you know. And and what's complicated by that that I I don't think we have really come to terms with yet is that while religion has been a major source of belonging. It's almost as if all of our major sources of belonging have had this set of, mm. you know, buzz saws go through them to create yeah. other kinds of belonging. So, you know, this resurgence of white supremacy that we're all witnessing that has a political party behind it, but also has a whole army of cable news channels and AM radio channels and all the rest uh, and and and. S- websites and Facebook groups. And you just start thinking about all these different belonging groups that people become part of. And, um, and I think that's another issue here that, that, uh, that people are feeling torn. And unfortunately, because, you know, progressive Christianity, compassionate Christianity, whatever you want to call it, it is, is in many ways a minority report in the Christian religion right now. Uh, people don't have a sense that there's something there strong enough to belong to, to compensate for all of the other losses of belonging in other places. Now that's, you know, that's a generalization and thank God there are millions of exceptions to it, but I think that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So let me go back and ask you if you want to answer the original question that I (laughs) asked about, you know, what do you feel the most pressing issues that we need to take action on. Well, I mean, I, I, as you know, I wrote a book about this in 2007, 2008 called everything must change. And it was my attempt to try to say, what are the biggest problems in the world and the simplest way. Uh, and I wish I had been wrong uh, uh, about more wrong about that. Uh, but I feel like, unfortunately uh, that's just being confirmed. But if if I were to summarize it as four things, it's, it's the planet. We're not living sustainably with the planet. It's poverty, economic inequality that creates huge differentials of power. You know, this, uh, what was it called? The Pandora report, or yes. I forget that. Yes, that's uh, it. But it, you know, we're, we're somewhere between, I've heard numbers as low as eight, and I've never heard numbers higher than about 30, uh, you know, oligarchs who own as much wealth as half of the rest of the world, right? So, so that concentration of wealth and power is just subverting everything in our world. And 
re-intensifies the first part because of a huge amount of their wealth comes from the fossil fuels that are destabilizing climate, suddenly those two problems are deeply interwoven. Uh, the most powerful people are the most dangerous people at that moment. And then third, it, it, when you have unstable economics and unstable uh, ec ecology, um, then people are at each other's throats. And we see, you know, the resurgence of racism and nationalism and, and uh, uh, you know, gender-related hate crimes and uh, religious bigotry and all of, all of the issues of peace are accelerated. So planet poverty, peace. And then the fourth, I think, is religion in that our religion should be helping us out of this mess, but major parts of all of our religions are re-intensifying the mess. So, uh, so that's why this kind of conversation that we're having, I think, is so important. Um, that we need people in our religious communities. Uh, we need Christians who are doing this just as we need Muslims and and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists and agnostics and all, all the rest who are having these kind of conversations about what kind of future we want and how we're going to have solidarity among people with a kind of humane vision for the future that and then that leads to activism and strategy when we've got a pretty powerful pyramid <laughs> uh, that we're working against. Hmm. Well, that's, that's kind of a bleak picture. <laughs> that's a lot of really big issues. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah wrong. I, I'm sort of sorry to bring it up, uh, but, but uh, you asked, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I know. So, so Fernie, what are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting, you you asked Brian the question again and, and had him answer it again, but I was thinking what that first part of what you were saying, Brian, about about the divisions within the belonging, yeah. right? Yeah. To me, that's that's where I see the issues. And when you were speaking, it reminded me of Barbara Brown Taylor and, and Brian Elaine, you may remember this because Barbara has spoken about this more than once at, at some of your events. She talks about the language of beholding versus the language of belief. Yes. And the language of beholding is is what is. Like, here we are, um, this is what's going on. And, and usually she said that when she's in a pastoral role, the language of beholding is, is being present with someone and what it is that they're going through. But the language of belief is about, you know, what does this person believe? And she said that, especially in social media these days, people are beating themselves, beating each other up over the answer to that question, over, you know, what do you believe? And then drawing the lines accordingly. And, and, and what's lousy about it is because the focus on belief has taken away the focus on beholding. And, and then she talks about how, in, especially in the King James Bible, that there are all of these references to behold. Right, that that we are called to behold, look, check, look, pay and attention. that uh, pay attention, and that belief comes after. You must behold first, and then you believe. But it's like we're skipping over that part and and just believing and challenging each other about what you believe and do you believe like I believe without really understanding what we believe or why. Right, so. Um, so these divisions challenge the heart of who we are as Christians because our compassion, it, it challenges compassion. Compassion is not there. Our sense of mercy is not there. 
and and we don't think to 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 even give voice to or understand or or bring empathy to what this other person that we disagree with believe and why they believe that way right so so um so there are these lines and and the other thing i was thinking about when when you're talking about belonging is that where where is our belonging in god with god right and and we have put such you know stock in in belonging to a group without recognizing or thinking about whether or not this group is helping to support my connection with God, right? And, and I think, I, I do think that this is a tremendous issue because it is the thing that, that we have to understand why we go to church, it, it, why we, we choose to belong to a group of people. And it's, it's not just, so that we can feel better about ourselves or feel safe somehow from being outcast, right? We, we belonging means something and we have to understand what our Christianity means for ourselves in our heart in order to find the belonging with, with others uh, to, to help, you know, strengthen and develop one's Christianity. Mm. Um, mm. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and, and this isn't necessarily like a, a big issue, but, but it's kind of a solution, partial of solution in connecting with what Jennifer's talking about, you know, writing children's books and such. Why not encourage uh, children and, and teens to, to write their own material? Mm. And... And I bring this up because my son, and you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned the book I wrote with my son, and and that's not a children's book; that's a memoir, and uh, and he wrote his own parts of it, but um, and traveling around and speaking about this book, he eventually, over the past couple of years, said, you know, at one of our events, he said, you know, our book is great, but I don't see someone my age reading this, so he's been working on. Um, what's called a manga. It's a Japanese graphic novel um, because to him, and, and he's exploring all of these ideas about where our loved ones go when they die, um, wrestling with Satan, all of these things, because he feels that, you know, he can explore these things in this realm and that teenagers his age will read this. Hmm. And I think, I think that's fabulous. We, we, let's encourage more kids to do stuff like that, to express faith in the way that they feel that they can best do it and, and we'll speak to others. Now I could go on about all of this, but that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Well, that's a really wise thought and it needs to inform some of the things that uh, I was mentioning earlier that we're planning to work on. So, um, so let's get, let's come back to that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, speaking of divides, I mean, you all know that I, recently published this book and Brian contributed to it, how to heal our divides. So I'm very conscious about that question. Um, there seems to be an increasingly wide gap between progressive and conservative, for lack of better terms, Christians um, in our country. Um, so does that matter? Should we care about it? Should we try to do anything about it? I'm curious as to what you all think about that. So Jen, go ahead. Well, I, I noticed something earlier today, I think it was today, 
where you had tweeted maybe about this series of webinars and someone replied saying, oh, yeah. um, you know, why do you need to use that modifier? Or it's too bad you have to use the modifier compassionate Christianity. You know, that should be a given, right? Um, and I, I think it does matter, though, that, I mean, I've, you know, I'm Episcopalian, and I've always um, felt much more comfortable um, for years, you know, if I describe myself as a religious person. I, I very rarely say Christian, although I am a Christian, but even prior to the last five years or so, that had so many um, connotations to many people that I knew that if I said I am a member of the Episcopal Church. Most people would go, oh, okay. I mean, that's that's a place that seems safe or that's a, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I felt more comfortable using that uh, modifier than <laughs> Christian, um, which is unfortunate, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. it struck me as sad when that person said, oh, too bad you have to use, you know, compassionate or progressive, both of which, you know, I think we could all argue is what Jesus was about, compassion and and caring for the most marginalized, right? So, um, unfortunately, in the maybe the louder mainstream and all those um, websites and Facebook groups that Brian re was referring to, they feel comfortable using, you know, what they say is a Christian faith, which I think many of us would argue is more like a white nationalist set of beliefs. Um, so it is, it's hard, it's sad. I mean, it's very, it's sad that we can't claim that in a beautiful way, you know, that, that word. Um, so, I mean, I guess I, I do think the divide matters. I think it's also important, you know, to find ways, at least for me personally, I want to find ways to talk about my faith in a way that's honest and, and unfortunately, I guess I am still always sort of making very clear, like, when I say this, I don't mean I was for the January 6th uprising, you know, or something like that. I, I mean that I um, am more in the trying to figure out what I can learn from people like St. Francis and um, and from Jesus. And, and how can I be in spaces, um, you know, we talked about gender nation in the, in the intro, but who are the most marginalized people right now? Who are the people who are most vulnerable and who need um, to be supported and celebrated and um, who, for whom I would like the world to be a better place? And for me, in terms of, you know, my kid lit stuff, I have found that working with Gender Nation has been just incredibly uh, productive and healthy and totally in line with my faith because it's about you know, celebrating and helping kids flourish, you know, the way they were created to be. So, um, so I don't think that's a very good answer, but that's no, no, sort no. Of so let me try to paraphrase from what I'm hearing you say. Are you saying that like, you know, we really should be focused on helping all these marginalized folks, right? And other things need to be dealt with as opposed to arguing with whoever. Yeah, I don't think it, I mean, I don't know that any of us have ever had a successful time arguing with um, anyone about these things. One thing I thought about, though, regarding the divides and also the beholding um, that we were talking about a few minutes ago, um, when I interviewed Sister Julia Walsh, who's a friend of mine for our um, uh, our pre-election series, Brian, that you and I did, um, she's a wonderful um sister of perpetual adoration who lives here in Chicago. And she, um, I asked her how she deals with, she's very committed to, um, to helping people who are homeless and 
she's also heard from people even within her church, you know, some criticism of what, what she does and her commitment to poverty and so on. And I asked her how she dealt with that um, because she is an incredibly honest and, and open and candid person. And she said that the way she handles those really kind of difficult conversations when someone sort of, you know, when I guess someone from the divide comes and is pointing out those divides is that she pretends in her mind that she's an explorer and that she's in another land that she's never been to before. <laughs> and that they're sort of speaking a different language and she doesn't really know the terrain. And so she she gets curious. And so her answer to that is curiosity. And I thought that was so great. And I've tried to, you know, adopt that practice when I can. Like if somebody is so different and so riled up or so they're they're convictions and beliefs and and values seem so different from my own doing that playing playing that little game in my head is actually really helpful and in thinking okay maybe we don't really speak the same language so I don't think we're understanding these words the same way and and I don't really recognize this play you know and I think that helps that's a really um, interesting tool yeah yeah right yeah. and I thought she was brilliant with that but uh. <laughs> So, Brian, you're probably more than the rest of us. You've dealt with this question. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't know if it's more than any, anyone else, but I, I, the only thing I, I can say right now really is that I just think we have to remember that a whole lot of people are really passionately committed to dividing us even more, hmm. um, whether it's because they're afraid or they're angry or they're greedy, or they're hateful, or they're, uh, you know, they feel threatened, whatever reason, they're very, very, they have an awful lot invested. It's a life or death matter for them to divide us even more. And what that means is those of us who have a vision for beloved community, a vision for compassion, a vision for our ultimate connectedness, are in this really weird position of having to have opponents. And in a sense, we are opponents. We're antagonists to the people who want to reify and intensify and, and magnify our divides. And what that I think requires us to do is to not try to paste over the difference, but to, as you were saying, almost like an explorer, Jennifer, excavate it and expose it and say, we really have different values. We really have a different vision here. If you win, everything I care for loses. Um, and uh, if if I win, I, this goes against what you're really working for. Um, but if we're able to do that in a loving rather than hateful way, in other words, to name the division, to name the difference without rejection and hatred and disdain, if we're able to do that, the only value, the great value I think that has is if that person ever decides to switch sides, they'll know at least one person on the other <laughs> side who is a safe person to def to defect to. And um, yeah, I, again, I hope that doesn't sound too negative, but that's that's kind of how I feel today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Froni, what are your thoughts? Well. I was thinking about the word curiosity and, and it's that same explorer uh, aspect that Jennifer is talking about that, that it helps to be curious about why the, the person, the other person is coming from that place. Um, 
you know, I wonder that line between progressive and, and conservative, I really wonder if it can ever really go away, right? Is, is that pie in the sky thinking? Uh, not only because so many people are on one side or the other, but because, as Brian said, usually when you have a divide like that, there, there are people invested in the divide staying. So, but I do think that every so often you, you get a person who walks across the line and challenges the other side. I feel that way about Rob Bell. You know, I, I feel like he, he stood up and, and challenged some things and, and, and took a lot of heat for it. But I have to believe that, that we will have more Rob Bells mm-hmm. in the future. And, and that while the line may not totally disappear, there just may be a, a softening of it and, and one side understanding the other. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Well, the place where it hits me most the, mo- the most is when I do things like events like this, you know, where I'm doing advertising mm-hmm. or when I did the publishing with pride conference online earlier this year and advertised for that. So both of those attracted lots of negativity. You know, people that wanted to argue about why progressive Christians were heretical or whatever, you know. And it's like, you know, I don't want to spend my time having those conversations. Honestly, I'd rather spend my time, you know, starting up something new that's going to help some people or whatever, as opposed to arguing on some battleground that I don't think ultimately is going to have any effect. Now, maybe that's just an aspect of, those, of social media. I mean, I'll really admit that that might be the case. Yeah. But, you know, I just, and part of this is personality too, right? You know, how much mm-hmm. do you feel like you can engage with people that can't be engaged with, really, in any kind of productive way? So, mm-hmm. I, I tend to avoid it, honestly, which maybe is not the right thing to do. But and, and, and thank goodness with people who can stand there, you know what I mean, and have some of those kinds of conversations. And some of the forums that we talk about in How to Heal Our Divides, that's what they do. You know, so thank goodness for that. I, I, it's not me. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really appreciate the people who can. Yeah. You know, Sometimes you, you wonder, um, and I think that's a very specific kind of work, mm-hmm. right? Because the people who are willing to have those conversations are, are hoping or, or, you know, may eventually create a crack, right? Where at some point mm-hmm. there may be change. Um, but, and, and this is why um, Karen Rawlins' book, The Lightmaker's Manifesto, is of interest to me. I feel that you have to understand where where your talents fit in the realm of this argument, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm not someone who, who would argue with someone on social media either. I feel like my job is to, to stand up and state my faith and live my faith and let others come to me if they want to, to talk about it or have questions. Um, but I, I don't in, engage in that way because it's not who I am and it's not about, it's not, um, it's not light maker 
for me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to quote her, her title. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important when you do engage in that way to come at it with an open heart, not to go into it thinking you're going to change somebody's mm -hmm. mind, but to, to, to understand the other side, to look for common ground, to, to recognize that, that at the heart of it, you're both spiritual people, you're not spiritual in the same way, obviously, but, but mm -hmm. you are spiritual people and you are related in that respect, mm -hmm. right? So this type of work involves the, the compassion I spoke about earlier. It involves a lot of patience mm -hmm. and, and just recognizing mm -hmm. that that you are not there to 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 change a mind. I think that's such a great point in that we all need to know who we are. You know what? Uh, you know a person who is a lawyer and who is has been trained to make arguments and to defend things and to tear arguments apart or whatever is a different person than a person who is you know a potter you know or whatever and I mean I think we all do have different gifts that we can bring and um, and we all have different ways that we can and I haven't read obviously this you know Karen Walrun's new book but you know we can all think about and and be prayerful about what is the way I'm meant to bring light and maybe for one person it is to to call out and to get into, you know, debates with people. Maybe someone else it is to write a children's book and maybe with someone else it's to put on conferences like Brian does, you know, or whatever. And I think that's one thing about being sort of quiet and meditative in terms of, you know, approaching God and saying, all right, what is the job you have for me? Mm -hmm. And, and, and we can't do everything and we can't, um, we can't be every type of person. And for some of us, it's more costly to do one type of work, you know, and we wouldn't be able to maintain it and we would burn out, you know? So I guess it is just that kind of humility around going, okay, I can do one thing and, and support other people who are doing their thing. So I think that was a great point. That's really helpful. I appreciate that you guys. Thank you. So on a more positive note, let's talk about what you all are up to next. <laughs> Because um, I know you're all up to wonderful things. So, uh, Jen, what, what do you want to talk about in terms of, you, I mean, I know you, some of you have touched on a little bit of things that are coming up, but I'd love to dive a little bit more deeply with, you know, where you all are focusing your time going forward. Um, well, so really next, as in tomorrow, I need to finish my um, talk for the Children's Literature Conference <laughs> next week. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I've got piles of books uh, on my desk about that. Um, I'm also working for Beaming Books on a book, um, which is, it's sort of, it, you know, as I was writing Dimming the Day, which has all these topics in nature, you know, ginkgos and humpback whales and, um, you know, hummingbirds and so on, I kept thinking, oh, I wish I were writing this for kids too. It's really, this obviously Dimming the Day is for adults, but I sort of kept this other file sort of open with ideas of how I might uh, present this differently to a younger audience. And so... Um, I'm working on a book that's a different sort of book. It's not an evening reflections kind of book, but it's um, it's a book about finding calm in nature. And it's not a Christian book overtly, but it is for Beaming Books. And it's, um, it's looking at ways t that kids can connect with beingness in nature. So the tree or whatever living thing that they can 
um, feel engaged with it in a new way and in a fresh way and also find calm in that. So that book is due in February and I've started sketching it out and that'll be for 7 to 10 year olds as well. Um, yeah, and I've got a couple other conferences to prepare for and uh, so much reading to do, which I'm delighted to have. And now I've been, I've been writing down all these, you know, all the books that you all are mentioning and, and so look forward to digging into them. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's one little snippet of what's going on. Good, good. Brian, how about you? So I am deep in final copy edits for my next book, which is called Do I Stay Christian? And uh, so that's what I'm doing between now and next week. <laughs> <laughs> and then are you going to be back out West or not? It, uh... You know, I'm, I'm, I really didn't want to travel while COVID is still happening, but it's happening a little more than I wanted it to. So, uh, mm. so yeah, I, I've got a, a several trips uh, happening okay. in, in the next few weeks. Yeah. So Franny, how about you? You know, I've been thinking I want to sit down with my, my, I have a fabulous editor at Broadleaf. I don't know if you guys have worked with her, Valerie Weaver-Zerker. Yeah, yeah, and she's great. Yeah, so I was she's thinking. presented I several to, of my conferences too. Yes, she's awesome. So um, I was thinking I need to, to sit down with Valerie and uh, I need to figure out what my next nonfiction book is. And, and I'm not sure. I feel like uh, Merton is still in my head. And I, I don't know what to do with with that. Um, where I go next, you know. Hmm. Interesting. I'm, I'm figuring it out. But in the meantime, I'm going to write a musical. So. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, know, wow. I want to hear about that. I really yes. want to hear about that. Oh, well, um, Brian knows. I have a novel called Unforgivable Love. It takes place in Harlem in the 1940s. And uh, this is a musical version of that. Oh, goodness. Yeah, now I'm working with a fabulous uh, young composer who's who's, written, who's writing some amazing music. So I'm I'm working on the book for that musical. Yeah. So when that debuts on Broadway, please let us know. You know, so that we can all go. <laughs> I mean, I'll be going to buy a ticket for that. Oh, absolutely! Actually, it'll be it'll be in New Jersey actually first. Um, really? Right? So I will let you know. Yeah. Oh, awesome! I didn't. Know. Yeah, this is it's for the American Theater Group. So. so you've already got that lined up. That is so cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. 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 Well, for me, the, the first thing is what Jennifer mentioned a couple of times is that uh, the week of October 18th, we've got a Christian Children's Book Conference, online conference, uh, Monday through Friday. So that'll be very exciting. Those are always so much fun. Um, talking about a group of authors that support each other really well, that group is phenomenal at that. So I'm looking forward to that. And then um, in November, we've got a Writing for Your Life um, conference online called uh, Writing in the Second Half of Life. Mm. And uh, we've got quite a few speakers lined up for that. So I'm excited about both of those. So you guys, thanks so much. Uh, I can spend hours just hanging out with all of you. Uh, you're such wonderful people and uh, brilliant and caring. And, uh, you know, those are the kinds of uh, folks that I like to be with. And I really appreciate you taking some time to, to share all of that with everyone else. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Brian. So all right. to meet you all. <laughs> so next up will be Monday on the 11th and uh, we'll be back with three other panelists then and then three more on Wednesday the 13th of October so hope to see you all then good Thanks, night Brian. Thanks very much good night thank you.